0: When are people going to see that nothing ain't never going to change unless somebody finally makes up his mind to stand up and fight? Damn. NetRet Radio presents Hopping Mad with Will McLeod and Arliss Bunny. Now, here's Will and Arliss. Welcome to Hopping Mad. I'm Will McLeod.
1: And I'm Arliss Bunny. And I want to start today by talking a little bit about scheduling, just so you kind of know what's up about the show. Will and I do celebrate holidays with our families, and we record this show on Fridays and Saturdays usually. And we took Thanksgiving off, as you know, and we will be taking Christmas and New Year's off. So there will not be a show on December 26th or on January 2nd. Also, my business is incredibly busy during the months of December and January, and January really is busy for me because of a massive trade show that I have to travel to. So I will miss two weeks in January, the 16th and the 23rd, so that I can exhibit with my company and live in hell. And the good news on that is that this is the last year I'm doing that because I'm finally finishing up the training for my people and delegating that permanently so I never have to go again, which is awesome. Uh, chances are good there won't be a new show that week, but if we can work it out we some way or other, we will do that those for those two weeks in January. In February, I am finally having the surgery that should conquer this medical problem I've been fighting for such a long time. I do have a pretty severe case of this thing. It can be deadly, but I'm getting excellent medical care, and the surgery should solve the problem completely. So I will miss two shows in January, the 13th and the 20th. And again, I suspect that we won't have new shows for those days. The reason that I say that is because it takes an enormous enormous amount of work to put on this show, both before the research that happens, before you ever hear us on the air, and then the editing that happens after, because you don't want to hear all the times we sneeze, the long pauses, the times we stumble over our words, all of that. So we do editing and clean all that stuff up. Because of all of that, Hopping Mad takes a lot of time and dedication and energy. We're happy to do that, but we really could use a third person. If you are interested in joining us on Hopping Mad or if you know someone who is, it would be great if you would email us at I'mHoppingMad at gmail.com. We would love to have that conversation with a couple people and see if we can't find somebody who would be Um, In addition to the podcast, we really are looking actually with this as uh, an opportunity to expand our diversity. So that's something we're looking for in particular. Will, did you want to say anything about that?
0: No, I completely agree with that. I am looking forward to having somebody else on. I think that's exciting. I think it would be a big help. And I think it would lower the, the workload for all of us while helping us produce a better show with more variety of content.
1: And it'll help us when one of us has to be someplace else, like in the hospital or traveling, because Will is now going to be doing a lot more traveling with his job. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, all of those things add up and we would rather be able to be on every week. We can do that if we have a little bit more help in terms of going forward. Personally, I'm really done with the inner scene battle inside the democratic party. Things are just too dangerous now. And for me, All my thought and energy is directed towards surviving this rapidly oncoming disaster, which is the administration of president Collect Trump. And by the way, thank you to David Waldman for accidentally coining such a perfect term. David was trying to say on his show, President-elect Trump, and he accidentally said collect. And frankly, that really fits our incoming president quite well. And I do think there's some value in creating labels like that. One of the things I learned in this last election is that whether it was right or wrong, and I think it was wrong, Trump's constant labeling of Hillary Clinton as crooked Hillary really stuck. And it is not bad to keep a constant highlight on things that our incoming president collect will be doing wrong. And to create a long-term sort of thread to which we can tie a lot of other thoughts having a couple of labels for him that we use really consistently might be useful. And so my nomination right now for that would be President Collect. I am supporting, by the way, the election of Congressman Keith Ellison to head the DNC, along with all of the changes and projects he's recently laid out in his agenda. I think he laid out a really amazing agenda in this last week. I'll give you a link to that on our website. And I'm taking note of the President Collects appointments and actions and communications, but I'm not planning to spend very much energy being shocked and commenting on each and every drip of acid. There are plenty of other people who enjoy being shocked, shocked, I say, over and over and over again, and I'm intent on action now and not on tweets. On this show, I'll be putting my energy into both continuing to do education on economic and financial issues, but also on highlighting the actions, progressive are taking and all of the upcoming elections. Remember that New Jersey and Virginia have 2017 off-year elections and we'll be shining a bright light there. But even before that, next week, Foster Campbell is fighting for his Senate seat, for a Senate seat as the Democrat in Louisiana. He has a pretty reasonable shot there. Any help you can lend to Foster would be great. We will be looking to bring more activists on the program who are embroiled in the upcoming battles. If you know someone who's in a leadership role, please help us by assisting in making the introduction so that we can request an interview of folks. I will not be putting a lot of energy into talking about how much I hate the president collect. I think you can safely take for granted that, as Delicos founder Marcos Molizos has said in a recent post, if I were a Jedi Knight, I'd be a Sith Lord today because I feel the hatred flowing through me. I agree with Kos, and it's not a bad thing, and it has given me clarity of purpose as it has him. I will post a link to his really great post on the subject on his site. And if you want to know how I really feel, his words are a near perfect summary of how I feel. At the same time, unless there's suddenly a dramatic drop-off in other people screaming about how hideous a human being our narcissistic, fascistic president collect is, I will be working on the fight and how we best leverage our resistance.
0: Will? To that end there's been a frustrating tendency for the left to get distracted. I mean, you already mentioned, Arliss, the internecine battle we're engaged in where we're trying to relitigate the primaries and shout about every little tiny thing we can shout at each other about. Meanwhile, we are not paying attention to fighting the white nationalists who are going to end up in the White House. Further to that, we've allowed ourselves to be distracted by Trumper tantrums on Twitter. We've We've not focused on what the real stories are or fighting the really dangerous stuff and that allows it to be normalized i mean that
1: phrase or that word trump or tantrum that's another word that we need to coin and use over and over and over because it highlights something that is true
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. here's a couple of stories that happened when donald trump got into a twitter war with the cast of hamilton He paid $21 million to former students of his fake university. Congress's phone lines were shut down by citizens calling in and asking members of Congress to investigate Trump's financial conflicts of interest, which, by the way, constitute high crimes and misdemeanors. Donald Trump will be the most impeachable president in history.
1: Thank God. He's
0: already committed these things. So we've really got to take the House and Senate back, people, because if we can do that, then we can get rid of this guy. And then we'll have, you know, Pence who's terrible, but he'll be a lame duck president because he can't demand the kind of...
1: Let's just say he's not the brightest bulb in the marquee.
0: No, he's not. He's really not. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, another story was uh, foreign diplomats and people who are, are lobbyists have all been booking rooms at Trump's hotels, especially the one in Washington, D.C., because uh, they think that bribing the president-elect is going to help them going forward. So that's... That's where we are right now. But we talked about Hamilton instead. And then when uh, information about fraud and corruption was coming out about Trump and his Trump Foundation, and there was information about avoiding taxes and all these other things from the New York Times, a lot of really important stories were happening. It was going to be a bad day for Trump. He went into some rant on Twitter and people paid attention to that instead. This has happened multiple times. And one of the other things that we were distracted from when that happened was uh, a meeting of the alt-right, which happened here in D.C. And I'm going to quote the uh, New York Times now. In 11 hours of speeches and panel discussions in a federal building named after Ronald Reagan a few blocks in the White House, a secession of speakers had laid out a harsh vision for the future, but had denounced violence and said that Hispanic citizens and black Americans had nothing to fear. Earlier in the day, Mr. Spencer himself had urged the group to start acting less like an underground organization and more like the establishment. But now his tone changed as he began to tell the audience of more than 200 people, mostly young men, what they had been waiting to hear. He railed against Jews and, with a smile, quoted Nazi propaganda in the original German. America, he said, belongs to white people who he called the Children of the Sun, a race of conquerors and creators who had been marginalized. But now, in the era of President-elect Donald J. Trump, were awakening to their own identity. As he finished, several audience members had their arms outstretched in a Nazi salute. Mr. Spencer called out, Hail Trump, hail our people, and then hail victory. The English translation of the Nazi exhortation, Sieg Heil. The room shouted back. That happened. And instead of paying attention to the fact that we have actual Nazis who are celebrating this victory, and we're going to have actual neo-Nazis in the White House like Stephen K. Bannon... Rather than paying attention to those stories, rather than paying attention to the corruption, rather than paying attention to the fact that this man comes as a pre-impeachable president, we're paying attention to Trump or from Twitter, and we're fighting with each other instead of getting organized. So Democrats, take your stuff and get it together. Because it's time to stop fighting with each other and curling up into a ball and saying, oh, woe is me. It's time to start fighting. We have to have a plan of action ready to go on January 20th. I'm ready for that. I'm already working on a lot of that. Some of it I'll be able to talk about. Some of it I hope you'll tell us about so we can talk about it here and get more attention to it. It's time to fight people. Coming up, I'll be
1: talking about groups that we can join that are going to be on the front lines of this battle. And we will also have an incredible interview today with Nita Lind of Daily Coast talking about what's going on at Standing Rock here on Hopping Mad. There are groups, organizations, that are long established that we already know are going to be on the front lines of the upcoming battle. And I really think that this is the time, if you do not already belong to these organizations or at least one of these organizations, I'm asking that you do that. Join, get involved, and actually be active Just being a member, just getting their emails, just giving a contribution now and then is no longer enough. We have to actually get active. So let me start with the Southern Poverty Law Center. Southern Poverty Law Center was founded in 1971 by civil rights lawyers Morris Dees and Joseph Levin Jr., The SPLC is dedicated to fighting hate and bigotry and to seeking justice for the most vulnerable members of our society using litigation, education, and other forms of advocacy. The SPLC works toward the day when the ideals of equal justice and equal opportunity will be a reality. SPLC lawsuits in the past have successfully destroyed violent white supremacist groups, protected the civil rights of children, the disabled, immigrants, migrant workers, and the LGBT communities, and prisoners. The Intelligence Project is their internationally known tracking program for exposing hate groups and domestic extremists. Their teaching tolerance program provides resources free of charge to schools. They built and now maintain the Civil Rights Memorial Center in Montgomery, Alabama, which is, if you have not been there, an incredibly moving experience. And they have offices in Montgomery, Alabama, Atlanta, Miami, New Orleans, and Jackson, Mississippi. I have a friend who's on the board of a not-for-profit which serves youth, and I'm going to talk to her about requesting one of the free film and teaching tolerance kits from the SPLC. Then I'm going to see if we can't get a small group going within our community around drawing kids into the conversation about tolerance. Because one of the things we learned in this last election is that tolerance is not being taught widely. Tolerance is endangered. And I think one of the things we can most do to get people thinking about someone other than themselves, someone other than their own self-interest, is to talk about tolerance. Which brings us to the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU. And I love their website. First of all, their motto is because freedom can't protect itself. Which, as we all know, is true. And it's becoming increasingly so. Especially right now, their website has a big picture of Donald Trump plastered on the homepage and it says over it, See you in court which is absolutely going to be how they spend the next four years. The ACLU evolved from something that was called the Palmer Raids back in 1919 and 1920 when Attorney General Mitchell Palmer began rounding up and deporting people he deemed to be radicals. This was done without arrest warrants. These people were treated brutally and held in horrible conditions. The ACLU formed to defend and preserve the individual rights and liberties guaranteed by the Constitution and the laws of the United States. The ACLU has had major victories, beginning with the Scopes Trial in 1925. They actually, in fact, lost the trial. The Scopes Trial was lost, but the trial itself persuaded the American public about the importance of academic freedom. So they lost, but they won, which is kind of an interesting way to do that. The ACLU stood alone in the battle against U.S., Japanese internment camps, absolutely alone in that fight. The ACLU joined the NAACP to fight segregation in Brown versus the Board of Education, The ACLU was involved in Roe v. Wade and in Doe v. Bolton. The ACLU won in Lawrence v. Texas, ending laws against same-sex sexual intimacy. They opposed the Patriot Act and detention without trial and the punishment of dissent. Much of their current work is focused on equality for people of color, women, gay and transgender people, prisoners, immigrants, and people with disabilities. Please become a member of the national ACLU and of your local state chapter. This latter is important because that's where you can get involved on the ground. The ACLU is in all 50 states and Washington, D.C., so please, please, please get involved with them. The next group I'm talking to you about is the Committee to Protect Journalists. They are headquartered in New York City. The CPJ has experts around the world. And when press freedom violations occur, they mobilize a network of correspondents who report and take action on behalf of those targeted. They have an Internet advocacy program. They have expanded to the protection of Internet journalists because Internet journalists now account for 14% of journalists killed. There have been 1,221 journalists killed since 1992. The CPJ is intensifying their documentation of press freedom violations here in the United States since the last election cycle and because of the election of Donald Trump. Please follow them on Twitter at PressFreedom and sign up on their site to receive information about advocacy and action. The next group, the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, the ADC, was founded in 1980 by the first Arab American U.S. Senator, James Aburzak. This is a civil rights organization committed to defending the rights of people of Arab descent and promoting their rich cultural heritage. It is the largest Arab American grassroots organization in the U.S. and welcomes participation and support from people of all ethnic, racial, and religious backgrounds. You can join the ADC listserv and become a member. And they also have a website which is full of information so that you can educate yourself more deeply. I got lost in it last night reading all kinds of really interesting things. It's really a content-heavy website and a great place to go. The Human Rights Campaign and Foundation opened its doors in Washington, D.C. for the first time in 2003. They employ a full-time staff of 150 people. I was surprised to know their staff is that big. The HRC and the foundation serve as America's largest civil rights organization working to achieve LGBTQ equality at home, at work, and in every community. The HRC site has both an excellent page to help people find the best way for them to volunteer. All kinds of different options, and you fill out kind of a questionnaire of things you like to do and want to do, and it's really well done. Their volunteer page is very well done. And it also has a section on the site where you can look up your state and find out what's going on locally. So they come at it from both sides. Then there's the National Organization for Women. NOW was founded in 1966. It's the largest organization of feminist grassroots activists in the U.S. Now's purpose is to take action through intersectional grassroots activism to promote feminist ideals lead societal change, eliminate discrimination, achieve and protect equal rights for all women and girls in all aspects of social, political, and economic life. Their primary issues are reproductive rights and justice, ending violence against women, economic justice, LGBTQ rights, racial justice, and the Constitutional Equality Amendment. On the 22nd of November 2016, now President Terry O'Neill wrote this for U.S. News & World Report. Voter suppression laws are notoriously targeted at communities of color, especially African American communities. For that reason alone, such laws are an affront to the values of democracy, human rights, and just plain decency. But it's also true that voter suppression is intended to block the election of candidates who put forward progressive, inclusive, forward-looking visions for our country. In short... The path for progressive advances runs through the voter suppression measures and tactics that Republicans, now white nationalists, have used to such devastating effect in recent years. End quote. I find it very interesting that now has come to the conclusion that voter suppression is a feminist issue. And I like it that they're seeing things in a bigger more intersectional way i think one of the problems with progressives is that we get locked in our smokestacks of specific concerns and we forget that there's a bigger world around us however going back to an even more narrow focus now i'm on the national abortion rights action league and it's funny because i've called naral naral for so long i'd forgotten what it stood for and on the web they go by prochoiceamerica.org and i think actually that's a really good name for the organization but They are laser focused on protecting and expanding reproductive freedom. They are very much a lobbying group working directly with or against legislators and for legislation. They are organizing to make sure legislators hear from pro-choice people and they make connections between how what happens in D.C. impacts people and individuals locally. They're working through the political process to support and oppose candidates based on their views on choice. NARAL also has 22 state affiliates where much of their groundwork gets done, and this is where you can get directly involved, but they don't have affiliates in all states. If they don't have one in yours, maybe that's a conversation worth having with National. And the last women's organization that I'm going to talk about is Planned Parenthood Action. There is the Planned Parenthood Foundation of America, and they're a community-based health care provider which just recently turned 100 years old, by the way. But the Planned Parenthood Action Fund, Planned Parenthood Action, is the political arm of Planned Parenthood, and that is the place to get involved. PP Action has local organizations in all 50 states and in D.C. In some of the largest states, there are multiple local organizations, so you don't have to drive as far or look as far in terms of figuring out where to get involved. PP Action also has communities, including Latinos for Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood Black Community, Planned Parenthood Global, Planned Parenthood Generation Action, and a clergy advocacy board. Their issues focus on abortion access, birth control, health care equality, which includes, and again, this is when I talk about intersectional things. They include the ACA and immigration reform when they're talking about health care equality. They talk about sexual assault, attacks on Planned Parenthood, state attacks, sex education, and voting rights. And the last organization I'd like you to think really seriously about is Daily Coast. A lot of us go to Daily Coast and read the information there. We get involved maybe by commenting on some of the posts and things there. But what we really need to do at Daily Coast is spend a little money. And I'm asking you to chip in $3 to $5 a month to support Daily Coast. They are the 102nd most heavily trafficked website in this country. And that's an enormous workload on a tiny, tiny number of people managing that site. If we as progressives are going to have a place where we go to have an entire bandwidth of information of progressive issues and concerns, that is Daily Coast. It is absolutely Daily Coast. They're the leaders in that area by a mile. And we need to support them and help keep them on their feet. $3 a month would make an enormous difference to Daily Coast. If you can see clear to do that, I would really, really personally appreciate it. And in closing today, I want to give you a quote that's been placed on the Southern Poverty Law Center's Wall of Tolerance from Robert F. Kennedy's speech at Cape Town University in South Africa in 1966. It says this, Few will have the greatness to bend history itself, but each of us can work to change a small portion of events, and in the total of these acts will be written the history of this generation. It is from numberless diverse acts of courage and belief that human history is shaped, Each time a man stands up for an ideal, or acts to improve the lot of others, or strikes out against injustice, he sends forth a tiny ripple of hope. And crossing each other from millions of different centers of energy and daring, these ripples build a current that can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. Coming up on Hopping Mad, we have our interview with Nita Lynn from Daily Coast here on Netroots Radio. Back on Hopping Mad, Nita Lind is the Director of Community at Daily Kos, and she blogs about American Indian issues online. She hails from the Navajo Nation, and her screen name is Navajo. I have spoken about what is happening with the $3.7 billion Dakota Access Pipeline Project at Standing Rock in the past on this show, but I'd like to begin by asking you, Nita, how you have been describing it to people who are unfamiliar with what's going on.
2: Well, basically, I start out with the explanation that the Dakota Access Pipeline originally had its plans to build an oil pipeline north of Bismarck, and the residents of Bismarck rejected it, and now they're trying to force it on the tribe in Standing Rock, which is, I think it's about 50 miles south of Bismarck, and they're trying to force the pipeline on them even though the tribe had expressed concerns about this nearly two years ago. They're fighting now with the pipeline. The pipeline is planned to go through. It's nearly built. And the Dakota Access Pipeline is saying that the tribe had been consulted and they did not express concerns. And uh, that is incorrect. So basically, the tribe that lives near where the pipeline is going to go under the Missouri River, is protesting. And actually, we don't like to use the word protesting. It's it's a bit different. Um, they're trying to defend their water source there in North Dakota.
1: They're calling the themselves tribe... water protectors, correct? <laughs>
2: correct. Correct. Water protectors. They are now just getting a lot of national attention which has really helped. And so it's rallied tribes all across the nation and also indigenous people outside of the United States. The Maoris, for instance, have been YouTubing their haka dance. I don't know if if you're, for those that aren't familiar, it's a, a dance that can say many things. They do it in Maori. For example, one of the prayers within the dance says that we do not recognize your government. We do not recognize your authority over us. And so, you know, you can see that indigenous peoples have always been kind of at odds with authorities and governments coming in and ruling them. So anyway, they've rallied, the Standing Rock tribe has rallied tribes all across the nation indigenous peoples outside, and then allies to non-Indian allies. And they are all heading to Standing Rock to stand with the water protectors against a militarized police force and National Guard. Because we can't make any progress, we feel that the North Dakota Police Department and National Guard are actually protecting the pipeline and the corporations to make money. When, you know, to to everyone else, I think that the police and the National Guard should be protecting the people. So that's the basic struggle here in that Bismarck rejected the pipeline, and now they're trying to force it onto unceded treaty land from several bands of the Sioux you know, it just goes without saying that is extremely unfair. Um, Our tribes shouldn't have to have their water supply compromised. And we know that that pipe will leak, that they just do that.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, You know, this fight hasn't just been taken up by the Lakota, Dakota, the representatives there from over 300 federally recognized tribes, as well as support from many more who have come up from all across North America and all across the world. Through the summer months on weekdays, I, I've heard reports that there were 3,000 to 4,000 people in residence at the camps, and many thousands more were there on the weekends. So this is not a small or short-lived action. Um, the camps at Standing Rock, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't they represent the largest gathering of Native tribes in the past 100 years?
2: I have heard that said, and I wouldn't be surprised. We have gatherings of nations, powwows and ceremonies yearly, and they are a good draw for gathering our tribes. But I believe that this is the largest conglomeration of tribes that has ever been together for a particular event. I believe that is true.
1: And wouldn't that be one of the most valuable things to come out of this that um, that inner inner relationship that tighter bond between the nations
2: oh absolutely, I think that we have a lot of commonality as tribes in terms of our history. And our history is one of genocide being ordered by the United States government. And then it went to the process of when they couldn't do that any longer, when they couldn't order our murders, then they went to the process of assimilating American Indians into society, I guess you could call it. And that's a very terrible thing to have happened to your past generations, and a lot of our tribes are still recovering from that. We call it multi-generational trauma, and our land has been taken away. We uh, some of the tribes have been put onto reservations that are no longer even close to their original lands. Um, the Navajo, for example, uh, have been lucky in that they are on their original land, and it's the largest. Tribe, And it's the largest land area owned by a tribe. So it's important that we do come together because, you know, our numbers have been reduced so greatly. And many of us, like myself, I've been fully assimilated. I live in an urban area. I don't speak my language because my mother was part of the government's boarding school system and forced assimilation, and she was told not to speak her language, and she was advised not to have her children speak the language. She was advised to leave the reservation and she did all of that and as a result i can't speak my language which is something i'm i'm resentful of and uh, as an adult it's kind of hard to go back and and learn a new language i wish i had learned it as a child but um to get back to your question yes absolutely the tribes i i think it's important that the tribes stand together we are stronger that way there are a lot of tribes that have not been federally recognized and they are lacking the value of that. We need to fight for them. We need to stand up for them. But among the federally recognized tribes, yes, it's important that we all come together. And I think that, um, you know, I've been watching all of the Facebook coverage on this. There are so many Native activists to follow. And the the video recordings coming out of Standing Rock a couple of months ago were just fantastic to watch. And basically they were yeah. like a particular tribe, like the Hopi were come, arriving, and they came in their regalia with their songs. And it was just really beautiful to see the individual tribes. And, you know, that's another thing that we that I like to talk about is that each tribe is very different. Some tribes are a little more similar than others. But basically, we're all different and separate tribes with our own way of dressing, our own songs, our own creation stories. We're very unique in that respect. And that's been a problem and a result of being assimilated is that the nation doesn't know a lot about particular tribes and so you know it's important for us to maintain our identity and to maintain our cultures and to keep our language going because if we lose any of those it really is the erasure of a particular tribe and and in my view that's a tragedy so yes it's wonderful that these tribes are getting together and they're expressing their support for one another
0: to talk about the pipeline a bit more people who don't really get what's going on here have said that uh, and I've seen this this stated online they said that you know, but the pipeline's a half mile outside the reservation. so what's the problem? Would you explain why that's a uh, why this is so dangerous to the reservation?
2: Yes, oil pipelines rupture and leak. that is just a matter of fact that no do that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, They're putting the pipeline, they say that, you know, it'll be just fine, it's 90 feet under the Missouri River, no problem, it'll be fine. Many people don't believe that, and we feel that the Missouri River doesn't just supply the Standing Rock Reservation I believe the number is something like 17 million people would be affected if there were any sort of leak in the pipeline that affected that portion of the Missouri River. And so, you know, we're fighting for the water for everyone. I know that a big argument for putting the pipeline underground is that it's a lot safer than the oil trains, which crash and are very destructive when they burn but really the the reality is the bottom line is is that, as a nation, we have got to look at renewable energy. and you know electric cars, you know the whole thing we've got to get ourselves off of dependence on fossil fuels. And really, the people that are benefiting right now from fossil fuels, um, you know there's the consumers who have the convenience of it, but it's the it's the corporations, the people who've invested in these corporations. To uh, continue to extract oil out of the ground and use it for energy, those are the ones truly benefiting from the, that. and I, and I see that personally, I see that as a short term way to get a lot of money, and it's just it's uh, it's, it's about greed, and uh, they basically don't care at all about future generations. And you know I, I have grandchildren. And I want them to have grandchildren, and I want the earth to be a nice place for them and not one that is polluted. And, you know, I can go on and on for hours about that. But, yes, the oil pipeline and all of the oil industry is not good. It's not good for our environment, and in particular, it's not good in the areas where they're putting the pipelines in because of potential leaking. You can go on and on. It's really a destructive terrible industry. And I hope that we can, as a nation, do more regarding enabling renewable energy resources across our nation.
1: So I want to hop back to something you said just a moment ago. At this time, president Collect Trump still owns stock in Energy Transfer Partners, and he owns stock in Phillips Petroleum, which owns 25% of the DAPL project. Since the president, Collect, does not plan to divest himself of these interests, and since he already knows that he owns this stock and what's happening at Standing Rock goes directly to his bank account, there are Republican congressmen who are talking about passing legislation, and they'll have to be able to override a veto, to force the hand of the president, Collect, into a real blind trust? Should we be leaning into this even though it's with our GOP representatives and senators?
2: You know, it's hard for me to support anything that the GOP yeah. uh, decides to do. I have to really go back in, you know, a short amount of time and really question as to why he is the, the president-elect. And uh, he has, uh, you know, I was reading headlines today that he has so many things that are a conflict of interest, and it's really, it's a tragedy, it's a terrible shame that this man has been voted to be our president because he's not fit to be our president. And I think his financial investments, I think all of his financial holdings point to someone who is completely compromised and can't govern our nation fairly. So the blind trust thing, I I don't know how I just don't know how they're going to do that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't, don't know how they say, get there either, can, but
2: Yeah, I don't think I don't think he can take his attention away from, you know, what he has been doing in the past.
1: So I can't speak to it
2: further. I'm just so furious about
1: the whole thing. I'm with you there. Uh, We're gonna ask you several questions which may sound the same, but they're intended to highlight different issues of land, history, religion, and environment. So even though these aspects are closely intertwined, they're not entirely the same. And I'm gonna start by asking you about the land. The relationship between people and their ancestral lands really is special be it the Celtic Irish or the Kurds or the Eritreans, land means more than property value. Would you speak a bit about why stopping DAPL is so important from this perspective?
2: It's a very complicated issue, and we get back to a lot of violations of treaties that were made between individual tribes and the U.S. government. There's a great map going around somewhere. It would be easy to Google It's a map of the existing Standing Rock Reservation and a map of the 1851 Treaty lands, and I believe there's another year in there, too, when more land was taken away. I believe it was 1861. Anyway, if you see the original Treaty lands that were established for the Standing Rock Sioux, it's huge. It's a huge area, and it includes the area where the pipeline is going to be put in, And those lands were unseated, meaning they were taken away by the government from the tribe because the government needed them. So what this boils down to is that indigenous people are connected with their land. It's where our graveyards are. It's where our children have been born. Uh, You know, we've adapted to that land. And through that whole process, we've created individual cultures among our tribes. And as I mentioned earlier, the genocide that was perpetrated by the U.S. government and then they went to assimilate the cultures, again, it was an erasure of those cultures. It was trying to take the Indian out of the man and keeping the man. And I'll say it again, it's, it's a tragedy because we want to maintain those individual cultures. Everyone should have a right to their original culture. And for a government to go in and try to erase that culture, that's really a terrible, terrible thing. And so our, our land is part of maintaining our culture and maintaining our identity as individual tribes. And, uh, you know, you look at some tribes, and I, I can't name all of them. I, well, the Cherokee, I think, would be would be a good example. I don't believe that yeah. they on, are on their original lands. I believe they were completely moved to Ponca, too. The snowbird so, Cherokee um,
1: in uh, the mountains in the Carolinas are still on some of their original land, but none of the rest of us are.
2: Yeah. So you look at that, and that's that's really a terrible thing. And it would be, you know, I, I think it needs to be recognized you know, I, I think that Australia did a very good thing in apologizing to their Aboriginal people, and it would be nice to get an apology from the United States. But then, also, you know, that's just one token of a thing—the right thing to do. Another is to actually have some actions that help the tribes maintain their culture.
1: There you go. You know,
2: get yeah. uh, recognize their sovereignty helping them with keeping their languages, you know, listening to them. You know, there's a a lot of things that could be done. But yes, it's important that um, we recognize that the the land is so important to
0: maintaining our cultures. To talk more to a lot of this uh, and talk about the history, we're talking about construction. All construction is on land that used to do something else. But in this case, the, the pipeline construction has already dug up graves and erased some ancestral villages. Why is preserving these historical and archaeological sites of particular importance?
2: I think that that's something I believe it's called the Nagpra. It's the um, let's see, I can't remember the exact words for it, but it's a it's a protection grave sites and archaeological sites for Native Americans. It's something that we recognize that in the past when those grave sites were dug up and the contents were hauled to the Smithsonian, that it was a very disrespectful and a terrible thing to do to burial sites. You know, they don't do that to white cemeteries. Why is it allowed to happen to American Indian burial sites? And so that act was put into place so that a lot of the contents that were taken and being held at the Smithsonian would be given back to the tribes for um, proper burial again, because uh, we feel that we own those, we own our ancestors' bones. And so, you know, I think you just have to look at it the same way. You know, would would the governor of North Dakota like it if we dug up his grandparents to put in a pipeline? I don't think he'd like that. So you know, again, uh, renewable energy shouldn't do that. But these pipelines are so—what's the word? They're so invasive with the way that they have to to operate, and you know, they want to build in a straight line. And if it goes through a, a Native American gravesite, they don't really care. But we care. We care. It's uh, it's a it's a violation and a terrible insult to our ancestors and our culture. And it's just one more thing that has been done to us to destroy our cultures and and tribal identity.
1: We'll come back in the extra mad section, the extended part of the interview, and ask you some more about the religious and environmental impact of this. But I wanted to skip and ask you about environmental racism specifically, because I think that in particular applies here. And you, you kind of touched on it a moment ago when you said, this doesn't happen to white cemeteries. Why does it happen to, you know, the cemeteries of indigenous peoples? And that is, you know, definitely a form of racism, but there's environmental racism here too, Correct.
2: Um, yeah, and I think that uh, when we started the interview, I completely touched on that. The pipeline was to go north of Bismarck. When when the residents of Bismarck, who are primarily white, objected, there was no contest. Uh, it was not contested by uh, DAPL, Dakota Access Pipeline. They rerouted it. And they're forcing it on the Standing Rock Sioux, and they're jeopardizing their water supply. And when Standing Rock objects, Dapple doesn't care you know and they militarize up and they're going to force the pipeline to go through i think that is definitely environmental racism we've and didn't, you know, seen it in south america we we've, we've seen it all over the world uh regarding we've seen
1: it on the health apache health. reservation in this country we've seen yes. it in fact on the navajo reservation haven't we didn't yes
2: yes uranium mining yes. Uh, coal mining um yes they've been they've they've been terrible and they've left Uh, The uranium mining has left terrible radioactive legacies on the Navajo Reservation. I had a cousin who died of um, uh, lung cancer because he was in the uranium mines. So, you know, it hits very close to home. And the Black Mesa coal mining, Peabody coal, that is very near where um, many of my relatives live. And every time I go to visit them, I drive underneath the uh, huge... um, I don't know what it's called it's it's it conveys the um the slurry the coal slurry uh to move it along and it's you know it's just this big monstrous looking thing that goes over the highway. it's like a big tunnel that goes over the you know it's it's terrible and uh, robbing uh, black mesa of their um their aquifer water, uh, you know. So, yeah, so the Navajo Reservation has also been affected by energy companies coming in and pretty much raping the land.
1: Yep. Yeah. Will, I think you had a final question to wrap
0: up this part of the interview. Speaking of action, Credo Action has asked us to pressure President Obama to make this land a national monument prior to leaving office in an effort to halt the progress of the pipeline at this point. Is that something we should be doing?
2: I think that we have to be very appreciative of our allies doing anything and creating anything and having any ideas as to try to, you know, uh, stop this. And I think that Obama is pretty much our last chance on that. And there has to be something that he can do. There has to be. I, I want him to step in. I want him to do something. Um. I don't know that, uh, this credo action is that viable. Um, I'm part of a, um, private email or, or, um, uh, instant messaging group. Uh, it's about, I want to say 30 journalists and interested people. And, um, Activists at the front line at Standing Rock. And the credo action has not come up as something that, you know, oh, this is great, we need to get behind it. And um, honestly, I have not looked at it to see if to see if it would be effective. Uh, but I, but I do I do respect and I, and I appreciate credo you know stepping in to, to try to do something. I'm not sure that that's exactly the thing that needs to be done.
1: Okay. Thank you so much for joining us here today on uh, Hopping Mad, Nita. We really appreciate your time folks. You've been listening to Hopping Mad on Netroots Radio. You can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and you can always listen to us at imhoppingmad.com. You can reach us by email at imhoppingmad at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Arliss Bunny, and Will is on Twitter at WillMcLeod99. And of course, we're on Twitter together at i'mhoppingmad. Stay tuned for Extra Mad, those of you who are listening to the podcast version. Next up, David Waldman with KGRO in the Morning, here on Netroots Radio.
0: Welcome back to Hopping Mad. We're here with Nita Lind talking about the Dakota Access Pipeline and the resistance to it. One of the things that horrified me was the day after the Standing Rock tribe filed papers in federal court identifying endangered burial sites, the pipeline contractor immediately bulldozed those specific sites so that they couldn't be stopped. When did bulldozing graves become legal?
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was pretty stunning. Basically, the site was reported, and Dakota Access picked up their bulldozers and moved at least 20 miles to another area and bulldozed exactly those sites. And you can understand how our people were so upset that they ran to the front lines in protest and DAPL knew how antagonizing this was going to be because they came with dogs. They came with attack dogs and some protectors were uh, bitten. I mean, it was really, it was just, it was absolutely a shocking thing to see. And that was the day that I, I began covering it at, at Daily Kos. People were, were writing a little bit about it, and I was watching it. But the fact that the the, the Dakota Access Pipeline people would deliberately go and, and destroy burial evidence so that that site could not be looked at and declared... A, a sacred site and, a, and an untouchable site, and they knew they would be, be met with resistance and they were prepared. They were prepared with pepper spray canisters and attack docks, and and I, I, just, I still can't get over it, but that, that was the day that the world really started looking. It made that event, that particular egregious event, made it into national news, and it's it's really fortunate that Amy Goodman from Democracy Now! was there and got it on film, got the bloody snouts of the dogs on film. She was able to, you know, get right up there and, and talk to one of the the, the dog owners or dog, um, I don't know what you call them,
1: commanders. Handlers, or, yeah.
2: Or what, handlers, thank you. Yeah, so that was a very terrible, terrible day. And, you know, a lot of the events since then have not been better. <laughs> They've been pretty terrible, too,
1: yeah, do you think that this might be a different fight if the Supreme Court validated the religious practices and beliefs of the Lakota and Dakota in the same way they do, say the owners of Hobby Lobby?
2: <laughs> oh, that's great, yeah, yeah, it could be it could be i mean that could be something that would that would make a difference, boy
1: i mean not this supreme court i'm just supreme dreaming <laughs> yeah i'm just dreaming here but i mean my point being that you know hobby lobby they go you know way out on the end of the end of this tiny little you know branch of a you know of a limb in order to justify the behavior of hobby lobby and they can't manage to wrap their head around basic religious tenets of entire nations of people
2: yes we do not get the same consideration that a lot of white groups get around the nation, and a lot of religious groups get around the nation we We just don 't get the same consideration, and it would you know I would like that, but uh, yeah. we that uh, that that is that is our history of dealing with the United States government and some of the political factions in the country. We don't get the same consideration. Our religions aren't protected.
1: And a perfect illustration of that is that there are Sundance grounds in the path of Dapple.
2: Yeah.
1: Which, you know, <laughs> sites that should be, that's like putting a pipeline through the middle. Folks, for people who don't know, that's like putting a pipeline through your church. Mm-hmm. So, Correct. Anyway. You
0: know, we know, we know that these tar sands pipelines or any oil pipeline breaks with great frequency. And we know that they've poisoned a number of rivers already. Uh, This pipeline threatens not only the water source, and we've talked about this, for the Standing Rock Reservation, but because the Grand River is a feeder into the Missouri, which is the longest river in the nation, uh, the water supplies of, I think you said, 17 million Americans. Would you talk to us a bit about how organizers have connected to Larger interest groups associated with water security and climate change.
2: Well, I, I, you know, you look at the whole environmental movement, and we have a group of natives that are con- concerned about environmental issues. We walk hand in hand with all the other environmental groups around the nation. Robert Redford put out a video, I believe it was the NRDC that he was speaking on behalf of. We're aligned. We're just. We're all basically aligned in our environmental concerns and all of the environmental groups around the nation have joined with us. They're standing with Standing Rock at this point. And you know, it's not just Standing Rock that has that is being threatened with a the pipeline. There the pipelines are being built right now all over the nation. It's something that the nation needs to be aware of. Again, we've got to get off of fossil fuel energy. We've got to get onto renewable energy. I wish all that money was being put into a renewable energy infrastructure instead of oil pipelines or and then other methods of extracting and transporting um, fossil fuels. But yes, environmental groups across the nation have been tremendous allies for us. And I think we all have the same, you know, the same interest and the same goal. And that is to try to reverse climate change.
1: You spoke a moment ago about the dangers that the protesters have been facing. And for instance, at one point, the sheriff in charge confused peace pipes with clubs. And <laughs> he, he, he called them pipe, pipe bombs. Pipe bombs. <laughs> nice. Uh, and I mean, they they just he said he said that we were shooting with bows and arrows too. (laughs) Are you
0: kidding?
2: I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. They're trying to trump up. That was a great word. The reason for their aggressive behavior. And in fact, they will yell across the line, you know, through their bullhorns that you are being aggressive. You people are being aggressive when in fact they're just standing there and they're literally praying, which, you know, will sound like singing to some people, but they are praying and they're praying for the uh, pipeline to be stopped they're praying for the people building the pipeline that they will you know get some moral courage they're praying for the policemen to realize you're protecting the pipeline and not us so and you'll see lots of video where the water protectors have their arms out or up and saying we are unarmed we are unarmed and then they'll be tear gassed or pepper sprayed I guess I should say And, you know, you've heard all the terrible stories about being shot by rubber bullets and concussion grenades and things have been thrown over at them. There was that terrible night when it was below freezing. Oh, yeah. And they sprayed already freezing cold water on the water protectors. Several went into hypothermia. I believe 300 people were injured that evening. Either in terms of hypothermia, there was a a cardiac arrest where the person was revived on the scene. There was someone hit with a beanbag round in their head, their face. And they, of course, obviously would sustain a concussion. There's so many terrible reports from that particular night. I believe that was uh, October 27th, but that was just incredible to watch that unfold over social media. And social media has just social media has really helped give momentum to this movement. Facebook and and Twitter. You can laugh at them all you want, but they really helped bring national attention to this. The whole world knows about the atrocities at Standing Rock now. Yeah. Um, because of social media and bringing in the big guns, the big media guns, bringing them in. So, so that has been pretty fantastic. And because of individual journalists, you know, pulling out their telephones and recording things, the Internet is filled with eyewitness accounts of how brutal North Dakota police force has been to the Standing Rock Sioux and their allies. It's been pretty terrible, and and I'm I'm glad that that evidence is out there. They can say whatever they want. They can change their Facebook page as much as they want. They can, you know, try to influence the the businesses in Bismarck not to sell supplies to people supporting Standing. I mean, you know, it's amazing what this police force is doing, and I don't think they're coming up with it on their own. I really think that they're just a puppet of Dakota Access Pipeline. I think, you know, I think that, that the pipeline is calling the shots. And the police force is doing their bidding. They are minions for Dakota Access Pipeline.
1: So armed ranchers, the Bundys and their friends, took the (laughs) Malheur (laughs) refuge by force. And the government waited patiently and nonviolently for weeks. That land was never theirs. In fact, it was Paiute land, quite frankly. And on the other hand weapons are not allowed in or around the camps at Standing Rock. And Standing Rock has really enforced that with their people. And still, Correct. peaceful water protector protesters have been arrested for praying. Yes. It is... It's, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? It's mind-boggling. Um, it's
2: staggering. Yeah. If, you, if you look at the photos of the Bundy events... And you see, and the one in Nevada too, where yes. um, the guy he's like on an overpass, and he's yeah, the got sniper. a sniper. The guy with the oh, sniper
1: yeah. rifle. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Now, if an American Indian did that, we would be shot on sight. We yeah. wouldn't be arrested. We wouldn't be, you know, shot in the arm or you know something like that, and and uh, taken away by the FBI. We would be shot on sight and killed. And you know we know that. That's why we don't go to these things armed because we know that we will be killed. And that is, to me, the biggest difference between um, our tribes' actions and the you know the the groups like the Bundys. They get consideration. They have a white privilege that protects them, and we don't. We you know we we are people of color, and we would be killed if we if we did the same things
1: on election night marco said something uh, in his post that i thought was really interesting he said white people voted like their lives depended on it even though they didn't and this is that white people take these actions by force like their lives depended on it even though they don't and yet people whose lives people of color Whose lives actually do depend on what's happening? What you know, be that whatever it is, whether it's Black Lives Matter or you know this situation at Standing Rock, people of color are people of color. They're in a whole different category. Correct.
0: <laughs> it's just, it's just it, appalling. Anyway, Will, to return to that uh, that topic of violence, uh, peer reviewed research has established that. Indigenous women, including those here in North America, face sexual assault in epidemic numbers. And during this action, combined groups of male and female sheriff's department and jail employees have strip searched women who were arrested for disorderly conduct. In fact, studies have also shown, as you were saying, that Native Americans are more likely than any other group to be killed by law enforcement officers. The word Sand Creek come to mind. Thoughts? (laughs)
2: There's a lot of words that I can use to describe the actions against Indigenous people. As a totality, I feel that they think that we're vermin and that they they can do whatever they want to us. We don't matter. As, As Indian women, we are less than and they can do whatever they want. I think some of the Strip searches and and the way that the women were treated was just pure intimidation and you know they probably got a real nice kick out of it. It's pretty terrible. And the first thing that you talked about regarding women being unsafe in and around their reservations had a lot to do with the, the way that people could be prosecuted because we have we're tribal we are sovereign nations and we have our own tribal police and it's hard to convict someone across those lines of jurisdiction. There's a different jurisdiction on the reservations, and there's a different, you know, and there's the jurisdiction outside of the reservations. But uh, they found that, white men found that they could go on to tribal lands and rape women and get away with it much more easily than they could outside of the reservation. And again, connected with the oil industry, there were these things called man camps, and they they were I was um, ask, camps. Oh. <laughs> yeah camps of workers, male workers, who worked on the pipeline. And there was some human trafficking with uh, American Indian women. And uh, the indigenous women have been prey for a lot of people. And that's just, you know, because they're women. And then as tribes, again, as a totality, we are considered less and, and treated that way the biggest example now is the Standing Rock mm-hmm. situation and how the North Dakota police have brutalized them and punished them for standing up.
0: Talk about those those man camps just for a second. You know, you talked about human trafficking, assault, rape, drug crimes are another thing that are on the rise. But the thing is law enforcement doesn't do much to prosecute these criminals. And this goes well beyond the pipeline and has been going on for years with no awareness outside of these immediate areas. How can we shine a light on this, perhaps, and make it into a pressure point for future action?
2: Well, I, I think it's a matter of doing exactly what you're doing, and that is reporting and not forgetting about it, I think, is, is an important thing, not letting it go away. We have to keep bringing it back into the news. And anyone who can should report on it, just like you're doing right now. And that is the way it gets into other hands, into the media, you know, like a, a national source, the big media. They're the ones that need to act on this. The standing rock situation has been a perfect flashpoint to draw attention to this to this situation. It's become very high profile, and it is, and it's because of citizen journalists reporting things. so I, I think I think everybody as individuals needs to take some responsibility for keeping our stories out there. You know, you share them on social media. If you have a website that you report at, report it tweet it to Democracy Now! and to media outlets, the the really big ones, you know, NBC, MSNBC, try to get it into their hands. So I think that's what we have to do is we have to keep talking about it.
1: I think it's interesting, all the different ways different organizations have sort of tied into what's going on at Standing Rock I've heard, for instance, about the water issues from river keepers. I have heard about the climate change issues from a number of different international organizations. I think it was the ASPCA that sent me a, an email about the horses that have been shot and killed by law enforcement there at Standing Rock. So, I, you know, we as progressives, we have all these different interests. But something like Standing Rock really does give you an understanding of the intersectionality of all of these things. And I I just find that interesting.
2: Yes, I find that interesting, too. And I heard the same story. I don't know if it was a different horse organization or another one, but they have been contacting individuals at Standing Rock and offering aid to help the horses that are still alive and being housed at the camp there, getting them supplies and making sure that the horses are being taken care of. And, and, uh, and you know, we, we take very good care of our horses when we have the means to do that. But it was nice for these horse groups to reach out and be concerned about that and to make sure, you know, to contribute to the feed of yeah. uh, the animals is, is really a, a beautiful thing to see. Though so I was aware of that and trying to think of some of the other organizations. My favorite story is the Menemonee Tribe, who owns a lumber industry uh, within their reservation. They delivered a truckload of firewood um, to Standing oh, Rock. Wow. And I thought that was pretty tremendous. And what's interesting about that, I'm connected, as I said, with people on the ground there. They went through that truckload of firewood firewood in four days. And this was back in... I want to say October, you know, so it wasn't as cold as it is right now. So the need for heat is is very great. I contacted the um, fellow, Pershing Frechette, who was in charge of the lumber industry, the lumber business there for the Menemone tribe. And uh, he priced out what it would cost for another load of firewood to go, and he found a driver, a truck driver, that, that what his charges would be for the truck and for his time. And uh, we priced it out to be about five thousand dollars, and I ran into problems uh, regarding how to c- collect the money. Uh, you have to be like a five hundred one c three, and I have no ability to set up a five hundred one c three for that now. So actually, I have a couple of other five hundred one c threes that I am looking at uh, right now. I've got to uh, make contact with them and see if they would be able to take the donations and help me get the donation, the, the donated money to the Menemonee tribe so that we can get more trucks running uh, uh, firewood. And then it's all further complicated by things that are happening in North Dakota. The Army Corps of Engineers has said that they are going to cut off the access to – or they want everyone to leave the main camp, the Ochetishakoi camp which is where most of the people are. And there's been rumors that they're going to cut off the roads so that supplies can't get in. Ace Hardware in Bismarck was told by the police to stop selling supplies. They got reamed on social media and put on their Facebook page today, oh, you know, please come buy propane from us, we'll sell it to anybody. So, so they uh, walked that back really quickly. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that I had this firewood idea, but I, I I get daunted by things that that start happening in terms of you know the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, the North Dakota Police, and if I get this load of fire truck going there, is it just going to get stopped and turned around? You, you know, it's just it's um, it's uh, it's uh, frustrating. It's frustrating to say the least. Um, but yes, yeah, so uh, you know, lots have... of people around the nation
1: trying to help. You know who'll have expertise dealing with problems like this are organizations like the Clinton Foundation, who deliver <laughs> aid in war-torn places in Africa. I'm not kidding. Oh, what about war-torn North Dakota? Yeah, exactly. People who know how to get around these things in Africa will be able to provide some advice and judgment on how to get around things in North Dakota.
2: Well, can Clinton so maybe help a bit are, here?
1: Yeah. So, but the, you know, the point being, maybe those are the, you know, some of the people to, to start looking for, for thoughts on how to solve that problem. And I was, in fact, my very next question on my list is I have a friend, Helen, um, who lived in a beautiful teepee on a gorgeous piece of land in North Dakota. She lived that way for many years and she did it year round. She loved it, but winter was no joke. How are these camps planning to get through the winter, and can we help you know, beyond firewood? What else is needed?
2: Well, you know, anyone can Google supplies to Standing Rock. You'll come up with a, quite a bit of information. There are several websites that have lists of things that are needed. The best place to start is the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe webpage. You can actually donate directly to them. And I believe there's a list there of things that they need, but Googling it will definitely find it. Um, I can't think of individual groups off the top of my head right now, but I would like to detail for you that there are several individual groups at Standing Rock that support various needs of all the camps. For example, there is a medical tent and they are in need of medical equipment and supplies. And I think if you put that into a search window, you know, medical supplies, Standing Rock, you will get that connect directly with those medical teams at Standing Rock and you can contribute. There are uh, earlier this year when it was warmer, there were schools set up for the kids, you know, and they needed educational material and things like that. So, you, you know, it's about taking, you know, something that you're interested in, like the horses, you know, something that you're individually interested in, you know, just put it into a Google window and see what you come up with. There's a lot of organizations supporting the camps right now. Each one of the individual camps up there have Facebook pages and they say what they need. So you know, there's there's a lot of research that you can do, and, and you know it's hard to give you links over the over the radio. Sure, uh,
1: I'll find some of those and put those up on our site so that people have easy access to them. Great.
0: On the 21st of September, Tribal Chairman David Arshambo II addressed the United Nations Human Rights Council in Geneva on behalf of the Standing Rock Tribe. Can you tell us anything about how that invitation was extended, how it went? Has the U.N. taken the position?
2: I don't know how he ended up there, but it was a a great thing. He, He made a brief statement, and it was very well received. I did write about it at Daily Kos, and the U.N. committee was looking into it, and they made a statement on it, too, in support of the tribe.
1: The U.N.'s Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues is investigating human rights abuses and they're amazed it's happening in the U S but after hearing from black lives matter for several years now, I find I'm not surprised at all. Do you think the UN has any leverage here?
2: You know, I I'm not educated in exactly what they can do. So that's not really anything that I can talk to.
1: Okay. All right. Well, Nita, thank you so much again for being with us here today. Is there anything else you'd like to add to what you've said, uh, We've covered a bunch of topics related to this, but it's likely we've missed something. Is there anything you'd like to contribute?
2: Um, I think you did a really good job of talking to a lot of the issues. I was able to talk about some of the most outrageous things that has happened up there. Uh, one thing that I would like to end with is that Standing Rock is not going to stand down. They're going to continue to fight this pipeline. The fight will go on beyond this particular pipeline too. This really is an ongoing environmental issue. I think it's fantastic that all of these tribes and their allies have been awakened. I think that we're prepared for the next environmental site that is going to be coming down the road. Um, And we need to keep talking about it. We need to keep checking on them and making sure that they're getting support which is what this particular radio program has been all about. So um, I really appreciate that. I I appreciate the time. I appreciate the attention. And we're not going to be quiet about this any longer, and this isn't going to be the last environmental fight.
1: As it should be. Folks, I wanted to let you know that I will be posting a link up at our site also to a really amazing video that was put up by The Guardian called What Did We Ever Do? And it really highlights uh, Standing Rock. And I'd like you to take a look at that. It's well worth your time. Again, Nita, thank you for joining us here on Hopping Mad. Folks, we'll be back next week. And we really appreciate your being with us here today. Many carrots of the season to you.